This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. We've learned some of the principles already this afternoon about care groups. We pray that now as we continue to study what your word has to tell us about small group ministry, we pray for your blessing and the Holy Spirit to be here. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to add on some of my sister's points this, uh, just, just before, our care, group in, or our care groups in Melbourne run on Friday night. Now, it's really loud. When they run on Friday night, they are not, you don't have to run a care group on Friday night. Does that make sense? Ellen White says that care groups or small groups or, or home meetings should be run at a convenient time. The reason we choose Friday nights is because for non-believers, keeping Sabbath is a new concept. And to assist them to learn how to keep the Sabbath, we encourage them to come to care groups on Friday night so that they don't feel like they're alone on Sabbath. Does that make sense? So on Friday night at sunset, it's care group time. They come to care group and when they go home, they go to sleep and then they wake up at church the next day. Does that make sense? Often it's difficult and we, we, our care group goes from about 6.30 at night to about 9 o'clock uh, after all the components that we shared before. And that allows them to sort of come, ha- spend Sabbath, go home, sleep and wake up for church. Now that doesn't mean that your care group has to be on Friday night, but that's one of the reasons why we do it on Friday night. Does that make sense? Um, we also have a number of different care groups as you, as you heard. Care groups have to be in a convenient location. People will not travel an hour to go to a small group because it's difficult, especially if you're a non-Adventist. If you're an Adventist, it's a separate issue. Does that make sense? So some of our care groups are on university campuses because students are, are in close proximity. Some care groups are in houses. Some care groups are, uh, are, are in uh, different venues. It's not wrong to have a care group in a church. But sometimes having a small group in a church carries with it a lot of stigma. One of the things that care group is very good at is breaking down barriers for people who have a stigma that is associated with church. When you say, no, would you like to come to church with me? They say, no, 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 I'm not religious. But when you say, do you want to come to my house for dinner? It's like, yeah, sure. And then you sing songs and then they get, caught, they, they get lost. <laughs> do you get what I'm trying to say? So it's not wrong. If you have no other location to have a care group, that's okay. You can have it in a church. But often it's easier to say, why don't you just come over for dinner at my house? And a couple of other people will be there and then we're going to have a meal, sing some songs, we'll study the Bible and then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll finish. Does that, make, does that make sense? No, it's my dream that Friday night Vespers, I believe that the early Seventh-day Adventist church, my sister was sharing about Friday night Vespers before, I think Friday night Vespers should be in this style. It shouldn't be two separate things. Friday Night Vespers was designed to be an outreach activity, not just for members to come together to enjoy and keep Sabbath. When we enjoy a small group meeting, it has to be evangelistically focused. Do you say amen to that? Amen. All right, turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We read this story a couple, of days ago, uh, a couple of days ago in the morning devotion, but I just want to touch on one particular verse here. Mark 
Verse 36. Mark chapter 9, verse 36, the Bible says, And he took a child and set him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them. Now I want you to notice what Jesus does. Jesus is trying to give an illustration. Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples and answer his disciples' questions, and he uses his hands, his arms, to take a child. You notice that whenever the illustration of a hand is used in the Bible, it signifies personal care. Comfort, trying to reach out to someone. God used his hands to form Adam out of the dust of the earth. God used his hands to stretch out to heal people. Does that make sense? When you see the concept of a hand, it signifies reaching someone else. And that's what care groups is all about. That's what small group ministry is all about. We read already multiple times in Acts chapter 2, the disciples were so effective because they could reach out and touch life. And White writes that if we are to win souls, we have to learn how to reach hearts for Jesus. One of the care group principles um, that we didn't have time to share, but I think it's extremely important, so I want to mention it, is that care groups should be spiritual and social at the same time. When we see the hand illustration being used, we see it being reached out as a social activity. Jesus is caring for the physical needs of people but he's also caring for the spiritual needs of people. Often in Adventist circles, we find it difficult to find a balance between spiritual and social together. We do one or the other, but not both. We need to do both. Effective small group ministry is a combination of spiritual outreach and social outreach at the same time. And the pen of inspiration supports that. If we as Adventists can learn how to reach people in a fun way, church is fun by the way. Amen. Amen. Okay, good. (laughs) If we can learn how to reach people in a fun, enjoyable way, you can also also learn how to reach, you will also reach them in a spiritual sense. The illustration I want to share with you this afternoon is a hand. The hand represents care group and just like there are five fingers on your hand, there are five key holistic or five key thoughts that make a holistic care group. The thumb is the most important finger. Without the thumb, it's extremely difficult to function, for your hand to function, I should say. You use your thumb and your other fingers to grasp a pen or chopsticks or to grab onto something or to turn a key or to drive a car. You can function without your thumb, but it's extremely difficult. Your thumb is almost the lever in your hand. Does that make sense? And so therefore, the principle in the hand that is extremely important in holistic care groups is what? Community. If there is no community, if care groups is not about community, you are in trouble. Care groups is not only an outreach tool, it's a circle of friends. I'm going to share with you some stories this afternoon. This picture, I'm not sure whether you can see it too well. This is a picture of some of the care groups that have united around a recent baptism that we had. On the video, do you remember seeing two friends? Vincent, the electrical engineering student, he's from China. And then you saw Amo. Amo is a Botswanan medical student. She's, from, she's there with, they have the flowers in the front row. They were both recently baptized and Caroline was baptized a week before Amo. So three of them were just recently baptized. In fact, I just want to tell you the story of both of them because I think it will encourage you. Amo came to here 
listen to this, I'm not came to hear about the, the uh, Seventh-day Adventist truth because a non-Adventist Botswana medical student was attending our care group. And on Sabbath afternoon, we went door knocking. Now, we went door knocking. Kafilwe um, joined us on door knocking. So get this. A non-Adventist who's attending our care group goes out door knocking with us and invites Amo to come to care group. And now Amo is baptized. Amen. The story of Vincent is a, more, a little bit more personal. Um, in the... In 2010, we had an evangelistic series and each of the church members were given a particular area to letterbox. So we had different territories and I was given a territory near my workplace near the hospital and Vincent's house was in that territory. I didn't know that until afterwards. And so I remember one day, I was, uh, we all got our, our leaflets and we were going, uh, we were supposed to do it by a certain date. There was a coordinator in charge of making sure everyone distributed the leaflets on time, the letterbox cards. I remember I procrastinated, left it a bit late, and it was kind of like, oh, okay, by this Sabbath, she was going to check, so I had to do it. I had no choice. And so I was busy that week, but there was a period of time on a Thursday, I remember very distinctly, there was a two-hour lunch break I had. Now, I was at the hospital in, in a similar sort of dress, with, with dress shoes and, and, and in my hospital attire, and I remember that I was like, okay, I have to get this done by Saturday, otherwise I'll get in trouble. But I looked outside and it was 40 degrees Celsius. Now, I think 40 degrees Celsius is like 110 Fahrenheit or something like that. It's like sweltering hot summer and it's like letterbox. And I'm in like tie, shirt, pants. Not a good idea. I was like, God, no, don't worry. I, uh, it's too hot. I can't do this. I can't letterbox. Uh, no, you can't. I, can't. I just can't do it. But then, uh, you know, in the back of your mind, that little voice like Pastor Nelson was talking about this morning, You've got until Saturday, otherwise you get in trouble. And so eventually, fine, I, you know, I took off my time. I was like, okay, fine, I'll do it as fast as I can. I'll get, I'll get out there and, and, and okay, let's get this done. So I walked down and um, God encouraged me. One of the uh, Bible workers, or two of the Bible workers actually called me and said, oh, do you need some help? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, why don't, why don't you come and help me out? So they took part of my territory and I was doing part of my territory myself and I was like, okay, hurry up, let's go. I've got to get back to the hospital. It's hot, I'm sweating, it's, it's, it's sunny and I've got, you know, my feet are hurting and, and I've got all these letterbox cards. And I was turning the corner to go to, back to the hospital. And as I turned the corner, there's one last house there. I'm like, oh, forget it. My last card, I just threw it in the, in the letterbox. I'm like, fine, let's go back to the hospital. So I walked back to the hospital. I, I thought nothing of, nothing of it. I was like, yeah, okay, I've done my part. We let a box those cards in the middle of our evangelistic series to invite, someone, uh, to invite the community to a particular topic which was of, of, imp- of quite, uh, people would be interested in that topic. And so it's midway through, and, one, and on that particular night, the, the card was advertising a particular session. On that particular night, Vincent walks into the auditorium. And we were all there and said, meeting all these new friends, we applied the uh, thought principles that we learned about before and said, hey, hey, hello, how are you? Well, uh, what's your name? Oh, my name is Vincent. And what do you do? Oh, I'm an electrical engineering student here at Monash University. That's where our care groups are based for our particular church. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a student at Monash as well. I, no, I'm studying medicine. And, and, okay, cool. How did you come to hear about our seminar? Oh, I received a letterbox card. I was like, oh, cool, what a, what a, what a good story. Where, now, where do you live? I'm trying to figure out in my mind, okay, who was the one who did the letterbox card so I could connect them with, with Vincent? And Vincent's like, oh, I live on this street here. And he was trying to describe the street names. And I, I, I couldn't remember what the name of the street I was letterboxing on. But he's like, 
You know, it's near the hospital. I was like, huh? Near the, near the what? It's like near the hospital, you're not on the corner, near the roundabout, it's that last house. I'm like, that was the last house I let him walk. And I had the privilege of working with one of the other church members to give him to Bible study, and he is going to be a care group carer next year. Amen. And God moves in miraculous ways. The community here, you can see all the care groups are rallying around these people who have made decisions for baptism. These people who are coming to care group, in that picture there, there are non-Adventists as well. Now, get, get, let, we'll get it straight that this is not just the church members coming to take a photo with the baptism candidates. This is the care groups. So there are non-Adventists in this picture as well. In fact, if you see uh, Joro and Fred, two of the tallest uh, guys at the back of the picture, Vincent is actively reaching out to them in the care group. I want to share with you a, uh, a few more things here. We, we got bushwalks in the top left corner, as you can see. We ate, we ate lunch together. We have barbecues uh, in the bottom right corner. We, some of the care groups went uh, cherry picking uh, recently. These are the things we do as community. There's a spiritual component. Let me give you an example. There's a short devotional done uh, about nature at the barbecue. So you're combining a social and a spiritual thing in an outing. And people enjoy it. And the story of the barbecue is interesting. One of our care group members is a professional tour guide. He does tour guides for people who come from um, overseas, from China and Taiwan, because he speaks fluent English and Chinese. So he became the tour guide for our barbecue day. And so the students who, who study at our university, who came to the care group, uh, who, don't, uh, who haven't really been in Melbourne for that long, came to the barbecue, went on the tour guide, and then heard about Jesus at the same time. Amen. The community is paramount in care group. All right, index finger. What does your index finger represent? It points, right? They, you know, my parents always taught me when, you, when you're young, don't point at anyone. It's rude. But the index fingers uh, gives direction and points towards the direction where your hand wants, or your, your body, or your, your, your train of thought, or your, your eyes are focused on. And so likewise, the index finger in the care group illustration needs to be the direction and point to the mission of the care group. Small group ministry needs to be evangelistically focused on making disciples for Jesus. If there is no direction, the hand does not move. If there is no mission of a care group, it will fail. It will succeed for a while, but then it will fail. Because at the end of the day, we are here to reach souls for Jesus. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Community is important, but a direction and a vision and a mission is just as important. I'm going to share with you some stories here. The person on the left, his name is Daniel. Daniel's story of how, the guy on the left with the mic here in the picture, the story of how he came to Jesus is fascinating. He's a staunch uh, Sunday Christian. He's from a staunch Sunday Christian family. His father is a pastor. He made a promise to God in one day at a university, while he was at university that he would not accept any literature that any club tried to give him during the day. Now, our student club at our university sets up a table where we have uh, materials that we distribute, including letterbox cards, etc. And he made a promise that he would not accept any literature that day. But he would accept a book. Okay. This promise is very specific. God, I will not accept anything because I don't want to know about other churches, but I want to find you if, you if someone gives me a book. 
That morning, one of our Bible workers felt compelled to bring a copy of the great controversy with her to the Bible table. When she was at the Bible table, Daniel came up and, and they started to talk to him, but he was like, no, I'm not accepting any of this literature. I'm not interested. And so our Bible worker, Suki, who you saw in the video before, she said, hey, I've got a book. Do you want a book? And so she gave him the great controversy. Today, Daniel is baptized and he's the president of our student club at the university. Now, Now, it is very good if the story stops there, but it doesn't. The story doesn't stop there. Daniel, in his position as the president of the student club, has now not only encouraged the students in the university to to work together, to band together in care groups, but to also hold events where we are uh, excited and where we can invite people to uh, come to care group. My sister is actually involved in the equivalent club at uh, at Melbourne University where she's also the president because our church is based at three different campuses, three different university campuses. But get this, Daniel has now committed his life when he finishes his geology course at Monash to become a full-time pastor. See, the story is not come to K-group, get baptized and finish. The story is come Get your life changed and continue to change other people's lives at the same time. If the direction of your care group is not consistently focused on evangelism, it will not succeed. The story of the guy on the right is even more interesting. Stephen is a uh, a man from a young professional from China. He used to be a human resources executive with one of the biggest telecommunications companies in Australia. Stephen was a staunch atheist who would debate Christians and make them cry. He was the president of a number of student clubs while on campus, a a Chinese club and I I, I believe atheist society or some sort of of secular society on campus while he was studying. One day, his uh, student invited him to care group. He taught, he tutored Chinese because he's, he's fluent in both languages, English and Chinese. And his student, who was a member of our church, invited him to care group and what else? happened after that. He invited him to care group and he was very excited to come and was like, okay, let's check this out. He thought it was going to be a party. He came and he, he asked why there was no soft drink. Not only that, they started to sing songs. Now, if you thought that no one could, could be excited about singing songs, that's Stephen for you. And Stephen, at the end of the night, he said, I will never come back again to this place. There's no soft drink. These guys sing crazy songs with actions. They learn about the Bible. I'm totally not interested. Stephen has not missed a K-group since that time. (laughs) In fact, Stephen, not too long ago, or I think last year, quit his job, became a full-time Bible worker, and is starting to become a pastor. You see, the story does not stop when someone learns about Jesus. The story stops when they are making disciples for God. All right, third principle. Middle finger represents leadership. The middle finger is the the tallest finger, the biggest finger, um, and therefore it represents there's something that stands above. Now, my sister was mentioning before, we don't have much time, but I just want to quickly cover, in each of our groups we have a care group leader. The care group leader is the person that's responsible, and you'll notice some of the characteristics here. We'll make the PowerPoint slides available, so if you can't copy that down, don't, don't worry too much. The care group leader is someone who is effective in organizing, 
but also relating. A good leader is someone who can organize care group, someone to cook, someone to teach, someone to take the, the seekers home after a care group, but also someone who is good at reaching the hearts of the people who are in the care group. A good leader is not just one, but both. And so in our care groups, we have a structure where we have a number of different groups of people. We have members who are Adventists. The blue circles are members who are Adventists. That We call them core members because they support the care group. They take turns to teach, to facilitate, to cook. We have a leader in the yellow square. We have the carer, who Vincent is going to become a carer next year. Carer is the blue triangle. A carer is basically there to assist the care group leader. Often it's difficult for the care group leader to manage all these things and the carer is there to assist him in logistical uh, organization but also to make sure that we are accounting for each member of the care group, member and seeker alike. Sometimes in your care group, even though we are uh, evangelistically focused, we also need to care for our members. And then you have the seekers who are the non-adventists in the red circle. We also have a care group coordinator. I'm just going to talk about that briefly in the next uh, section. Sometimes when your group is small, if you have three to five people, you may not need a carer. But when you get to ten, sometimes you do. So you just play by ear and see how God leads and guides. Point, Sylvia is one of the uh, uh, care group leaders in our church. She's also uh, become a care group coordinator. She's a good example uh, of uh, this leadership structure. I will explain it to you after if you have any questions about the leadership structure in particular because we're short of time. I'm just going to keep going here. Forefinger, the ring finger is accountability. When you put a ring on your finger, you signify that you're united to someone else in marriage. And likewise, there needs to be accountability in care group. Remember we said that care groups are not a para-church. Care groups are not a replacement for church. In our church structure in, in Melbourne, our care groups are the foundational building blocks of church. Because at the end of the day, when you invite someone to care group, you need to then invite them to church. Does that make sense? You don't just invite them to care group and then they stop there. And so what we have in our care group uh, scenario is that we have a care group. Well, I'll just go back to the picture. It explains it a little bit better. We have uh, members, we have leaders, and all the leaders are responsible to a care group coordinator. The care group coordinator is the person who's responsible for managing the overall care groups. Does that make sense? The care group coordinator also sits on our church board. So that's where the accountability comes in. Because care groups is not dealing with logistics only, care group is dealing with people. And when you deal with people, you need some accountability so that no one falls through the cracks. Last but not least, the little finger is the weakest finger. In my medical practice, I've seen people who don't have a, they've lost their little finger in an accident. They can still function. But when little fingers are bound together, when little fingers are bound together and united together, they are more effective. Care group is not a solo effort. Care group is a united team effort. The success of the early disciples in their small group ministry was the combination of individuals. It wasn't just Peter. It wasn't just John. It was Paul, Peter, John, James, whoever else. Was, they were all united. And likewise, there needs to be united members of care groups who are equipped, equipped to reach souls. What I'm trying to say is that when you look at all the members who are Adventists in your care group, you need to be united. And in our church, we've, we, we've found that one of the parts of a holistic care group is to equip those young people, those members, 
with a discipleship program. Now what I'm trying to say here is a disciple is a person who is not only uh, uh, excited about, about Jesus, but is enthusiastic, enthusiastic about winning souls. And their life reflects that. Discipleship or a disciple is someone who lives a lifestyle like Christ. In our church, we use a system called the Discipleship Training Program or as a FAST training program, F-A-S-T. Now, I must stress that this is not the only discipleship program that you can use. There are many good discipleship programs out there, but there needs to be some sort of system where a person who has become a member can be turned from a spiritual baby to a disciple to a worker. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. Vincent, if you track the story of Vincent, Vincent was an unbeliever. He came into the church, he was baptized. He's now in this program. In fact, I was, I was doing the uh, program with him shortly before I left to come here to GYC. And he's going to take that one step further, incorporating the aspects of discipleship that he's learned and, and been trained and equipped in to become a disciple next year when he helps to lead out a care group. Okay, let's do some revision. Thumb represents? Community. Index finger? Lead, leadership? No. Direction. Go and make disciples. Middle finger? Leadership. Ring finger? Accountability. And little finger? Equipping. When you combine these aspects of a holistic care group with the principles that my sister has already shared, you start to see why the, the disciples were so successful. I want to share with you a story to finish up and then we're going to have some time for, for, for questions as well. Let's see where I can find the, the picture. All the way back to the first picture that we had. I want to tell you the story of this gentleman here. The guy in the blue shirt. His name is Jerry. Just recently got married, so he's very excited. Jerry is an awesome example of the power of care groups. Jerry's a second generation Seventh day Adventist. Now, I don't mean to be mean to Jerry. Jerry is not the most fantastic preacher or the most fantastic teacher. But Jerry is the best Andrew I have ever seen in my life. What I mean by best Andrew, if you look at the, the account of the disciple Andrew in the uh, Bible, in the, in the Gospels, Andrew was not a fantastic preacher. Peter was. Andrew was not one of the three. John and James were. But Andrew was the person who brought his brother to Jesus. Jerry is the best Andrew I've ever seen. Jerry invites Everyone to care group, like non-stop. Non-stop. I'm going to do a, uh, give you an example here. Jerry invited his friend from badminton to care group one day. His name is Etong. Etong came to care group and was quite excited and quite enjoyed it. And Jerry is very happy that Etong was in care group. And so Etong, at the time, who was not baptized, invited his girlfriend to come to care group as well. Her name is Doris. So you have Jerry, then you have Etong, then you have Doris. Doris enjoyed care group so much that she invited her high school friend called Kafi. So you've got Jerry, Itong, 
Doris, coffee. Coffee enjoyed it so much that she invited her sister, Kay. And so, Jerry, Itong, Doris, coffee, Kay. All of them are baptized now, by the way. Amen. Kay, this year, served as a Bible worker for six months. She went to Thailand and she preached, apparently, I, I, I didn't see her live, I wasn't in Thailand, but she went to Thailand with a group of people to do evangelism. She had never, she is like, Kay is a very timid, uh, shy uh, person who wouldn't do public speaking as her a first option. She went to Thailand and I was talking to someone yesterday here at JYC who said she preached like he has never seen before. This is the story of Kay Groups. You know, I want to close with a thought. This is something that we've done in Melbourne but it's not something that is exclusive to Melbourne. It's not something that's exclusive to Australia. Care groups is a biblical model, or small group ministry is a biblical model that can be applied anywhere you are, regardless of your race, your background, your culture, your age. It is a tool, it is a set of principles that works. We've seen it work before. The challenge is, when you leave this place, when you leave GYC, what are you going to do about it? This total church plenary uh, session is supposed to be practical. And there's no point being practical if you come and sit through two hours, listen, and then go home and do nothing. We need, when we leave this place, to say, I want to put some of this into action. Right now, I want to invite you to spend a couple of minutes in prayer. I want you to do two things. Continuing on from my thought this morning, I want you to think of two people who are fellow believers who can be in your care group when you go home. I want you to think of two friends who you can invite to care group. And with five people, you have your first care group. Two believers, two non-believers, and yourself. And you've got five. I want to spend the next two to three minutes. Think of those names in your head. Pray with the person next to you, uh, whether it's your, your friend, your family, or someone you don't know. Pray together. What we're going to do after that, I'll close with prayer. We'll then have a short session of question and answer. If you need to go, feel free to go. The question and answer section will be very specific on any principles we have covered this afternoon. If you have a specific question about your location, about your church, or, or your particular situation, Because other people need to go, come and see my sister and I afterwards and we'll be happy to chat with you. So I want you to spend two to three minutes in prayer with the person next to you. I will close in prayer. We'll have a question and answer session after that. Father, we thank you so much for your infilling of the Holy Spirit. Father, we all long to see the Church of Acts chapter 2 reproduced today. Lord, as we leave this place, Help us to go back with a desire, a renewed desire. Don't let that passion die when we leave GYC. As we go back and are excited about maybe starting a small group in our church, Lord, help us to think of those two names of believers that we can approach and the two friends that we have who we can invite to care group. And Lord, as a group of five, that's all it takes. Mark chapter 2 describes four friends and one sick man. With five friends, Lord, we can turn this world upside down like Acts chapter 17. 
Be with us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Just to let you know again, if you, are, if you missed any of the slides or the presentations, they will be available on the GYC website that you can download afterwards. We're going to have a short question and answer session. So for those for, of you who... Yeah, for the recording, anyone that has questions, if you could just come up to the central mic. And if we, anyone that needs to leave urgently, just um, if you could just leave quietly so that we could just do these questions. I have a question. Uh, do you have any resources available that we could use? So these slides will be on the GYC. Oh, the, like curriculum. Oh, curriculum. Um, yes, you can come and get our details, but those are all on our church website. We have. It's uh, on your website. Yeah, care group teaching resources, songbooks, principles. What, what's your? The website, website is. Gateway SDA, one word, so gateway as in gateway sda.org. Gateway sda.org. Gateway, G A T E W A Y. Um, the, uh, in the example of the church plan. Sorry, can we just said, get some quiet, please, so we can hear the questions? Thank you. In the example of the church plan, you were talking about how you started the evangelistic series and then Sabbath afternoon transition to. Could you repeat what like that process? And then the second question is regarding discipleship. Like when you do, when you have someone that gets baptized, what is your process of that? Like is it like the fast? Is that independent of the care group, or is that somehow in a care group? Okay. So the first question was, how does evangelism tie in with care groups? Um, when we planted our church, we started off with care groups. We started off with having small groups in the location, close to the location where we wanted to plant our church. And we used those to con- cultivate contacts that we can then invite to an evangelistic series. Uh, typically, we have our evangelism in August of every year. So we would invite all our care group friends to the evangelism. Some of them would make decisions for baptism. Some would make decisions for Bible studies. And we continue to nurture them after that. Uh, we did this for about two to three years before we launched a Sabbath afternoon worship um, in the location where we were going to have our church. And after that, we continued having care groups and um, evangelism to get more and more contacts to form our core team um, to start the church. Second question, discipleship. Uh, discipleship program is, uh, is not in the care group, so to speak. It's separate from the care group, but it complements. Because the equipping of the members is for the members to then serve in care groups again. Does that make sense? So you equip them to serve, but the discipleship program that we use is separate from the care group setting. Hi. Uh, This has been really good. I I have two questions, sorry. My first question is, like, can you hear me? Yeah. Ah, yeah, can you hear me now? Yeah. All right. Um, the the my community is a lot of like newly married people with children. So, do you have any advice on how we could, you know, because they need this, but they have kids, and a lot of them don't come to church or they don't come out because they don't have anybody to, you know, help them with the care with the child. I was, I was sharing this someone before. I think someone asked me the question in our break time, but. We do have some care groups that are family care groups. So it's not a, this care group is not exclusive to young people. It, it's regardless of... The principles are the same. We have some family care groups, and some of their studies are focused on looking at principles which would help them in a family setting. So some of the, the, the principles are, or some of the lessons are tailored towards that. 
And obviously some of the outings or social activities that they do would be different. They won't go rock climbing because they've got young kids. They might go to the zoo together or the aquarium or, or some sort of, of thing together. So it is possible to have a young family care group, but it does need to cust- be customised, especially because you know, if you have it at night, kids need to go to bed, etc., and, and it's difficult, but it is possible. Yeah. Okay. And then my sec- second question is, I heard you say that there are believers and non-believers in the care groups, how do you keep the non-believers non-believers? You know what I'm saying? Like, if they're not, they're, they are not Adventists, right? Yeah. So how does a, if, we're, if you're going through all the principles and everything, how do they stay not Adventist? How do they not get baptized? And We hope they don't. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so when you were saying non-believers. No, it's just that you keep inviting new people. So oh. at any one time. You have leaders ah. and hopefully new, fresh, non-believers. Got it. Thank you. Um, I quite didn't understand the part of equipping, like the five points. I didn't understand what equipping was. Okay. So I, know I was a bit rushed for time. I wish I had more time to integrate. So equipping is basically transforming someone from just being a baptized member to being someone who's able to lead out a care group. Okay. So you're moving someone from just newly baptized and teaching them and equipping them and giving them skills and, and instilling them with principles that can help them to lead a care group in the future. Does okay. that make sense? Yes, thank you. Okay. How do you um, go about having leadership and management without creating an, an elite that makes it feel like two separate groups? Uh-huh. So usually our care group leader is, a, is one person. So. Yeah. The care group lead, you see, one of the, the things is that a good care group leader can relate to, to his or her members in the care group. And so when you can relate to someone, it means that you are not on a separate level. If the care group members see this person as a, like a god or a, a separate level, then the leadership is not effective because then how can the person relate to you? Does that make sense? And one of the benefits is that in a small group setting, it's harder for that to happen because when you're in a small group setting, there's a lot of uh, interaction. People share their personal thoughts and ideas and challenges and, and, and stress. And every leader has challenges as well. It's not just, you know, I'm a leader, I, I, everything's perfect and I can lead the care group. And so two things that I'd, I'd suggest. One is the care group leaders pray often. Pray often. Second thing is that the care group leaders are still accountable to someone else where they can get advice and mentorship. Sometimes it's difficult managing a care group. You're managing people at the same time. And so those are the two things that I mentioned for, for trying to make sure or trying to ensure that the care group leader stays relational to their care group. Well, my question is, when they become baptized, the, the persons interested, non-Adventists, um, do you do then they're, they're not lo- no longer invited to the uh, small group? They become a member of uh-huh. that small group. Uh, well, they are always a member of that small group, but they become one of the members that actively works to run and lead and um, invite their friends, their non-believing friends, to their care group. So they still stay. So maybe I'll just illustrate it from a different point of view. I agree with what my sister said, but 80% of our church is in care group at any one time. Does that make sense? So... Whether or not what your status is in care group, you are still in a care group. So when you first come as a non-believer, okay, you're a non-Adventist. When you're baptized, you're still in care group, but your role changes. 
you've now seen, okay, I've moved from a non-Adventist to Adventist, and now my challenge is to invite other people to come to care group. So it's like a process, it's a continual cycle. Yeah, but then um, I'm thinking there is a, there, there, there is a, a number where it's most effective, uh-huh. or else it's going to continually grow. Sure, okay. So when it gets to, my sister mentioned about 8 to 10 people, what we do is we multiply. You saw in our, our map we have multiple care groups because the size gets too big. When we get to about 10 to 12, we then multiply and divide into a different group where there are some is a leader, there's some members, and there's non-believers as well. So during the process, those people are trained to start their own. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Exactly. exactly. All right, That's thanks. Exactly. Two questions. What comes first, evangelism, or is evangelism a result of care groups? And the second question, um, what if you have more care, care group uh, care persons but not, not enough leaders? How do you turn the care, the care people into leaders? Okay, well, the cycle of evangelism is, it works both ways. Uh, the people that we get into our care groups um, we have people that come from different streams. We have our student club. We have our Bible workers doing street ministry, door knocking. And those type of people come to care groups, and then we invite them to evangelism. We, however, have people that just walk into evangelism off the street, or their friend invites them to the evangelism, or they see a brochure or a poster or something. And from that evangelism, when they come, someone will say, hey, would you like to come to a care group? So they, they work both ways. But when you're starting fresh, which way would you start? With a small group or with evangelism? I would start with a small group. Okay. Yes. And your second question? Second question was, how do you, tra- how tra- do you how, encourage how people do you to move from members to leaders? From, care, from uh, the caring person in the group to the leader. Sure. It's a difficult one. We often, sometimes we're short of leaders because the leader takes a lot of, it takes a lot of responsibility and a lot of... Uh, commitment and, and time and, and energy resources, etc. I think to encourage people to step up to leadership roles, sometimes it's difficult, much prayer is needed, but they also need to catch the vision and values of care group. If a person can catch the idea and the reasoning behind what care group is all about, I'd naturally want to be involved. I'd actually be excited about care group. And I really want to like, come on, man, let's, let's get together, let's get this group going and, and let's drive it. Often, sometimes, problems that we have or, or challenges that we face is that when people are comfortable in a care group, they're Adventists, they're comfortable in a care group, but they don't want to be active. They just want to sit in care group and say, yeah, yeah, I'll come, but you know, someone else can, can lead us. Yeah. When they catch the vision of what care groups is, it's hard not to want to be involved and to be a leader. So they need to catch the vision would be what I'd say. Okay, thank you. Oh, Vikram's going to add to that question. Come, Vikram, come, come to the mic and, and add. Actually, that's a really good question, Tim. I know Tim from the seminary, so um, the reason why we would start a small group before doing a public evangelism is because you find that about 80% of those who come for your public evangelism are those who've already made friends within small groups. And so because they've developed those friendships with your members, they're more likely to come uh, to something that's more spiritual. And as a result, they make a decision for baptism. Whereas on the other hand, if you run a public evangelism without small groups and uh, you're focused mostly on cold contacts, um, chances are people don't have that chance to make friends, friendships with your members 
and it's less likely that they'll make decisions in the end. And that's the reason why a lot of churches run public evangelism, but they say it doesn't really work, because they haven't had a chance to develop those friendships beforehand. So, yeah, that's the reason why we do small groups first. I had a question really fast. Um, this pertains actually to my experience. I've been in Bible study groups for many years, and one of the difficulties I find is, okay, you talk about having, you know, a goal. You know, you reach unbelievers. You know, to become, you know, um, let's say they become Bible workers. But let's say you're in an Adventist school, right? You know, all Adventists, or you're in an Adventist ghetto. You know, all Adventists, right? What is the goal then? Because as, when, as Adventists come together, I feel like it's different. We fellowship compared to bringing um, non-believers in, you know. And I, my experience has been after like you know four to five years of doing Bible study groups. My experience is always okay. I come, I come fellowship, and then they lead. It hasn't like I haven't seen a goal. I don't know if I should have a goal, but my experience has been in talking to other people. It's kind of the same thing. Is you know, do you um you know do you have to bring unbelievers in, or there's just you just have to tell yourself there's a different place for a different time because. Many times I've seen is, you know, how it is, you know, um, you know, you could bring people in, you know, go door knocking, but does it have to be your group? Do you have, it doesn't have to be by interest or age or, do you get, I don't know how I'm trying to say, I guess this pertains to more of a, what's the goal, you know, if it's, a, if it's all Adventist, you know, do you need to make the same thing? Because, you know, not everybody's going to be in the setting like that, so. I think, I think we're too long, to be honest. Our perception of small group ministry has shifted to Adventists only. And I think that's not right. It's not biblical. You notice that the apostles grew even though they had no like specific apostles only small group. Mm-hmm. They still grew while they were fellowshipping with non believers. It's not it, sorry, it's possible to grow as an Adventist in a group with non Adventists inside. This small group ministry is not only for reaching out, it's also for edification of the members. How do you do it if, if like all your friends that start off, they're all Adventists, they only know Adventist people? It's like pretty, like, I don't know, that's my experience. It's a challenge. It's, it's a really challenge. difficult. Like, let's say they all invite Adventists, they don't know any non Adventists, so what do you do? Absolutely. You know, so. Key thing is pray for God to give you two people that you can invite, or even one person. If you have five members in your group and each person can think of one person, maybe it's a work colleague. Maybe it's someone that you can, you can go out and invite off the street. Maybe it's a family member who's non-Adventist, non-believer. If everyone prays for one person and everyone brings one person, you have double the number. You have one Adventist and five Adventists and five non-Adventists. It's possible. Okay. It's difficult, but it's possible. See, my experience has been is that I always get like that, like all my Adventist friends, right? The non-Adventist people that come, they leave after that, you know? They don't, they don't seem to have the lasting experience. You're like, you know, they come, they don't have the, I guess the problem is is they don't develop that friendship. They don't develop that long-lasting friendship because they're like, oh, all these Adventist people there, you know, they're all, they have all this stuff in common, they're clicky, and then they all leave after like, you know, the fourth or fifth Bible study. It's like, how do I make, like, how do I get that, you know, longingness? It seems to be that's been my problem for like, you know? the last few years. so The care group members need to share the same vision. If the Adventist members in your group don't share the same vision, it's difficult because they would not, necessar- they would not naturally want to associate with the non-Adventists because it's hard. It takes you out of your comfort zone. To talk to someone like we were demonstrating before, it takes effort. You rather just sit there and you can talk about things you always talk about, what you do in Sabbath, you know, 
um, what's happening at church and all the, all the stuff that's going on. It's difficult. And so my challenge would be pray that the people in your group can see the same vision that you see. So do you, do you put programming then, basically, that, like, I don't know, like... like I think it's just a mindset when you go into the care group, for example, if you have five people that are inviting one friend each, and you have, so you come together and you have ten people that night, yeah? One of the main things, one of the things that we have in Gateway is something called a ten-minute rule, which means we usually use this for public evangelism, but... Um, it applies to care groups as well. It means that in the first 10 minutes after you have um, a public evangelistic sermon, or in the case in the first 10 minutes of care group, no Seventh-day Adventist member of our care group talks to another Seventh-day Adventist. They spend that time talking to a non-Seventh-day Adventist. And if you establish that culture within your group, they will find a sense of belonging. And your members, your Seventh-day Adventist members, are going to find a sense of meaning. And like, the, how are the programming you choose? Do you choose programming like, oh, like spirit prophecy right away, or like difficult stuff, or you don't want to water it down? Like, I don't know how to effectively communicate my question, but like, how do you make it such a way something they can understand, but also for the Adventist people, how to help them grow too? Because it can be a challenge. I'm just conscious of time because there are lots of questions. Is it okay? We're happy to chat oh, with you okay. on a on a just after the session, but just because of the recording and things, if we just can try and get through okay. the questions, is that okay? Sorry. That actually answered a lot of the questions I didn't have. Um, I have like several technical questions, sort of, and it's related to like the operation of the event. Uh-huh. So like you go from eating to uh, I'm singing. singing, and then uh, study, I, and then okay. Yeah. So like with the eat, eating part, like some like my friends are like uh, they love me, and I used to love me a lot too. So like if should I be bringing like vegetarian food, or like should I bring like a sort of like a variety or like you know and then like sort of like try to wean them down you know or something like that you know that, that's like one technical thing like yeah or <laughs> I think it it comes down to a matter of conviction um, in in gateway we we have vegetarian food at our at our care group um, just because it also remember one of the principles that we read in Mark 2 everything you do in the process of bringing someone to Jesus is just in, as important as bringing them to Jesus so everything you do in your care groups is a witness and so um, in the vegetarian food that we serve um, yeah so that is a witness to the health message at the same time I understand where you're coming from though because a lot of our um, a lot of our seekers come from an Asian background especially from mainland China where in some parts of China people don't really eat vegetables so they come and they have a bit of a shock of the system and there are a lot of seekers that come to care group for the first time and you offer them a plate of food and they'll be like oh no thanks I've already eaten dinner but as you get to know them um, and you invite them along, and they keep coming week after week, they'll eventually get daring enough to try some of the food. And it's just one meal out of the week that they're not having meat, you know. Um, and they'll be fine with that, especially if you go, come on, you have to try it, I made it. Okay. And um, how long do you think, like, the eating should be, like, so, like, probably not a lot of food? Or... So we start our care group, and it's just a rough guide. We start our care group at 6.30. We eat till about 7.30. We sing till about 8, study till about 8.30, sharing till about 9, 9.15. Right, because, like, I'm in a college, and most of my guys are, like, 6.30 to 7.30, 7.35, boom, I'm gone. So, like, it's... 
you know. We find sometimes, or in the past, there's been some experiences where they've taken out the eating component and just come for one hour, like one hour Bible study plus testimonies. Right. It's not as effective because you are people see it as you are trying to preach to me in an hour, and I want to get out of there. It's not like I'm hanging out with you. And when people want to feel like they want to hang out, it's natural. Whether it's 7:35 or 7:37, like it's right. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, as groups get bigger and as we spend more time together, it seems like um, in the groups that I've been in, we form a real close-knit dynamic, and I I feel afraid sometimes of of splitting a group up. I was wondering if you can go into more detail about multiplying and actually splitting the group up so it feels more uh, more organic and comfortable for everybody to split into two different groups. So multiplication is always going to be tricky. Um, as I said before, a lot of people have tinges of separation anxiety. That's natural. Um, but the way we, we and Vikram's very involved in this as well as the Bible worker, the way we structure our multiplication process is that we use a principle two by two. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two, which means that when we multiply, we make sure that we don't leave any member or any seeker by themselves in a group that they're not comfortable with. So you may have a group of, say, 20, and you need to split it into or 16 and you need to split it into 8-8. And so we will try to pair up every member with one other member at least that we know they work well with and they're close to, okay, and that they can potentially support each other to grow together. We also link those people with the seekers that they are closest to, and then those people are already four people. And do you see what I mean? So two by two and such that um, the multiplication process becomes a little bit easier for people to get used to. There's still familiar faces in there somewhere. Thank you very much. What do you do about summer break? Because I go to an academy church where literally half the church is gone for two and a half months. So it's holiday season now. We're, we're Mm -hmm. uh, we're We're overseas. A lot of the students, we are in a student care group, my sister and I, a lot of the students are back home for holidays. It's, it's an extended period of break for mm-hmm. Australia now in the uh, summer down there. Mm-hmm. And so we, what we do sometimes is for a university care group, we combine the care groups, especially in a student setting because there is a lot of mass movement around holiday time. Mm-hmm. And so doing our Christmas break now, instead of three care groups, we're down to one because everyone's combined for a couple of weeks until school starts again and then we, we expand out. Just to add to that, one of the main principles to keep in mind is that even though you may not have a care group per se or the care group as per usual, um, one thing that's really important, especially for people that have just come to care group you know, one or two times before you had to go, split up for summer break, is that someone, one member at least, of the care group needs to keep in contact with that seeker during that break. Call them up. You know, Facebook them, whatever it is. Just keep in contact and make sure that that means that when you get back and you want to start it up again, it's much easier to invite them back to Kegel and they're much more likely to come back. Okay. Uh, well, thank you for actually touching on that question because that was actually kind of a question I was going to have. I'm just going to take this kind of low for me. Um, but basically, I was going to ask is that in dealing with a like university situation, it just seems like I'm only asking that because I, I'm, may, some of the people here may be wanting to ask that for it because that's why we're waiting. And for a lot of us as students, in a university situation, especially of us at an Adventist campus, we want, let's say you want to bring, because you're saying small groups should be evangelistically focused, 
um, if you are trying to bring people into the church and you're working with them and you're trying to help them, like you already explained the whole separating, you know, even if you have like a three, four month summer break where there's no care group going on, this person's kind of like, I guess you have to kind of continue with them. But how does this work with your work when you're trying to actually help do small groups? Can you even do small groups to help Adventists who are, let's say, more, I guess, layer to see in the sense that they kind of need to be revitalized. Like, how do you work with them? Sure. You know, one of the, one of the joys I, I'd say is that I, I go, so some, sometimes your members sit on the fence, in inverted commas. Is that what you're trying to say? So Yeah, kind of. It, uh, is it just more that you don't have a large pool of non-believers around you to draw? Yeah, kind of. And I was going to say, like, for example, if you're at Adventist University, like the one I go to, for example, we can, we have, we have non-believers in, at the school, sure, but there's also people who are raised a lot of, but a lot of people that were actually raised in the church and they become non-believers, although they're there because their parents send them there or whatever, mm-hmm. and so they kind of have, they don't want to have anything to do with uh-huh. it. And you're trying to build that fellowship, but there's also people that you're trying to reach out to who sure. are kind of cultural Adventists. Well. Yeah, they're cultural Adventists, and they and they may have like their devotion now and then, and they may be kind of spiritual. But how do you actually b- revitalize them? And, sure. and should we study with them? What do you do? Yeah, so I think that it's diff- my sister and I both grew up in the church, so we're conscious and aware. Sometimes I've experienced that before when I was growing up as well. We, when a person who's grown up in the church is involved in outreach, it has a big impact on them. Yes, they may need personal Bible studies, revival, etc. But one of the best ways we find to encourage people to grow, Adventists who are nominal to grow, is to be involved in their outreach mm. activities in care group. Mm. For example, when we do door knocking, we bring everyone. It's not just care group, carer and leader, go and door knock and invite people. It's carer, leader, members, whether they're on the fence or not on the fence, non-believers, and everyone's at excited and everyone goes out together and when you're in a group situation if everyone's going whether you're cultural adventist or not you you go along and the other thing is that when in a setting where there's non-believers you will see the mindset of people who are brought up in the church change because you can't sit around and talk about your usual stuff and and, and just hang out and sort of be normal people will ask you and people will question you and when someone questions your faith and when someone questions your identity as an adventist you'll be challenged so, yes, it's important to, you know, to, to touch base them personally and, and talk to them, etc. But sometimes it's beneficial for them to be involved in outreach. And sometimes they grow in that. As well. you know, actually, I think, that's, um, I think that, yeah, I found that that's true. I think actually working with, um, sim working with people who are uh, working with outreach. And so basically with the summer situation, for example, three, four, four months, if you, you know, in my school, I have four months summer. Um, can it still work? I mean, after can you pick up after four months? I mean, how easy is that? Like, you know, you haven't had care group for four months, and especially if you bring, let's say, somebody in from the community that's a non-believer, non-Adventist that doesn't go to the school or whatever. You know, do you keep in, do you just try and keep in contact with them for four months, or like, you know, is that transitions are always hard. Um, four month breaks can be a little bit tricky. We. We try to keep some semblance of a care group happening during that time because people generally, well, I'm not sure how it works in in America, but people generally won't be away for four months. They might be away for two months and someone else is away for two months. And Do you get what I mean? So during that time, that's why we combine all our care groups so that at any one time there is some semblance of a 
of a care group and um, usually what we do, I'm based on the university campus, so my my care group is a campus care group and we face similar challenges. One of the things that we use to start up or to boost our care group uh, after the four months is that we make um, the most of orientation days or the start of school kind of events. And so we have a big push on the campus for new people to invite. We have like a for example, we have the orientation day for any new students coming into the university, and then we invite them to a free dinner and orientation on what to do in Melbourne as a new student or something. Um, and that we say, oh, you come to this place at this time on a Friday night, and that's our first care group. And usually those care groups are huge. We have 40 people, and obviously you know, people will, will wean off that and, and, and they'll go, um, and slowly they'll drop off. But it helps to boost those care groups up again after the break. If you connect with somebody who's not a student, but you may the same, bring it from the same kind of principles. I mean, after if you're trying to start up a care group again or to boost up a care group, have some type of push for inviting people. Uh, what we call those things are visitors' nights. So you can have a visitor's night for any reason. You can have a visitor's night because um, if there are lots of ladies in your area and someone wants to hold a bake fest, and then that's your visitor's night. You know, like so. There's all different types of ways you can you can push for that care group to kind of have a boost to start up again. I'm sorry, I don't want to not answer your questions for those who have in mind. I know you've been waiting. I think we need to finish because it's, it's getting late. You guys need to get dinner before. There's no more food left in Texas. Uh, and the poor recording guy's like waiting for us to finish. I'm, come, come up I'm and ask say your prayer, question. Come and ask, ask my sister and I, and Vikram will be here as well. Vikram can answer your questions just as well. Let's just say a quick word of prayer to finish, and then we'll, we'll go for those of you who need to go. Father, we thank you for this session where we can spend some time just asking questions and, and, and coming up with plans and ideas about how we can uh, do small group ministry better. Lord, we pray that you bless the ideas that have come up here. Take, uh, let those who have them, take them back and let the Holy Spirit continue to inspire them in that local area, church, university, whatever it may be. We ask in Jesus' name. Thank you, everyone. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.